This is Agents Influence Podcast. If I am not mobile-centric, if my business is not oriented to the smartphone, I am choosing not to use a supercomputer in the pocket of every single customer and prospect. So, for instance, there's what's called an accelerometer in a smartphone. You go out walking, it tells you how many steps you take in a day. But from a car insurance purpose, this can tell me how hard I accelerate, how hard I brake, how hard I corner. So we could get to real-time rating of risk via smartphone. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. Hey, 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 loyal listeners, welcome to another episode of Agents Influence Podcast, changing families, changing lives, changing agencies, and in the meantime, we are going to change an industry as we have been doing since 2013, and how we've done it is not through me. Uh, We've always had the the saying around here that is, tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. I like to put people on the and give them a platform and a stage to be able to make you think differently, change your ideas, change your family. And like I said, and maybe we can change an industry. And today, I think I'm not disappointing. I have to uh, introduce you to uh, Jim Harris. Now, as you hear me for the next 20 to 30 seconds, if you want to take some time and you're probably running or swimming or just talked with a gentleman, uh, Wilkes, Matt Wilkes, I apologize. I forgot your name. You hit me this weekend, said that you were, uh, he was, uh, Jim, he said that he was mowing 40 acres of land and heard some things that we had shared immediately went and put him not in practice. It wasn't that he had used some of the things that we had said and had ended up writing him like a ginormous hard to place account. So it's just some of the stuff that we're trying to do here. Usually I'm not trying to specifically drive business to somebody, but we want them to actually um, know that what's out there. Real quick, before I get on with Jim, be sure to check out wegotyourpodcast.com. Wegotyourpodcast.com. We're now producing, I think, over 11 shows for different agents. Who are we going after? If you have a niche, you created a niche in the insurance industry to separate yourself from someone else. Now everybody's getting a niche. How do you separate yourself from them? It's by building authority. You can build authority by podcasting, blogging, or video. I like to help you with your podcasting because all you have to do is do what you do, record and be done. And we have a team that can do all the other stuff for you. It doesn't have to be as creatively done as blogging and video, which allows you to spend your time doing the things you need to be doing, which is building authority and trying to drive uh, sales by getting those whales. So we also help agents out there who want to create a niche and then build the authority immediately. We got your podcast.com. Jim. Harris, loyal listeners, I'll go on here in a minute, but Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. So great to be on the show. I know, I know. And um, I'm going to kind of repeat a little bit what you and I talked about before this, but uh, loyal listeners, I'm extremely, extremely excited by this. This is Monday morning, uh, 9.14 at 8.10. For all you loyal listeners, you know I do not record on Mondays, but I was going to give Jim whatever time I could possibly get from him because he blew my mind back in 
August or May when I was watching something that he did, and I didn't even realize it was 2017, Jim, until until you said that earlier. Um, it so blew my mind. That was right at the beginning of COVID, and we were doing nothing but sitting around watching a ton of YouTube. Um, and Jim, you blew my mind. And I want to talk about disruptive, um, being disruptive, whether it's inside the insurance industry, just in life. Um, you're going to be giving them loyal listeners. I'm telling you, sit back and relax because this is going to be exciting stuff, stuff that you've never heard before. But before we get on with that, we have three questions that every loyal listener out there in the world wants to hear from you, Jim. Are you an iPhone or are you a Droid user? Android. Boom. I told you all cool ones are. I'm an Android user. Less than 20% of my people are Androids. Most of them are iPhones. That's awesome. What's the last app you downloaded, Jim? Ooh, hard to say. Uh, it might have been a loyalty app uh, for a uh, uh, retailer, but uh, there's an app I'm kind of excited about. It's called otter.ai. So uh, if you're diagnosed with cancer, God forbid, Jason, and you go to your doctor and you hear the word cancer, you don't hear another word after you hear cancer. And yet you're expected to follow some treatment regimen. So what Otter AI does is it records a conversation and transcribes it in real time. And if there's any confusion about the transcription, you can go listen to the underlying audio file. It's a uh, freemium model, meaning you can download it for free and use it for 600 minutes of recording and then make a decision whether you want to get it or not. But we've had two friends who've died of cancer in the last year, another who's going through uh, fighting leukemia, and mm -hmm. uh, we recommend this to them. There are lots more applications for it, but this is a particularly uh, helpful if you're by yourself fighting cancer, like your spouse can't come with you to the doctor's appointment or whatever. Oh my goodness. And that's very realistic today. And then, yeah, it's very good. Holy cow. Thank you. O-T-T-E-R dot A-I. Is that right? Like exactly R? right. Okay. Interesting. Thank you very much, Jim, for that. Jim, question number two, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? I love to win. Uh, but by the way, I hate to lose as well. Um, <laughs> But, but really, I, uh, the, the whole focus is on winning. Correct. Okay. Yep. That's uh, good here to, here to say that. So I, w I should probably make some direct correlation. I should look at the data and figure out how many times someone says iPhone and says winning or losing versus what someone says <laughs> droid. See, if we had the proper data, maybe if AI was recording this and pulling those little cues out for us, those would be things that would be uh, very well to once again, not replace, but to enhance the podcast, which I think a lot of people sometimes miss when we talk about AI, automation, and those type of things. It's here to enhance and make our lives better. Of course, I think it can always be used as a tool to do some bad stuff, but name something that can't, right? We all think that cars are very helpful, but someone can get in it and purposely do a lot of damage to somebody, but we all still drive, you know? Well, yeah. maybe not. It gets up what Jim's getting ready to talk about. We might not all be driving here, <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, let me get to the last question so we can get on with this. Let's say that there are only two things in the world that would got, that got Jim to where he is today. And we said one was luck and one was skill. What would you say would be a bigger driving factor in your life? So uh, I have uh, this theory, uh, Jason, I call it the funnel theory. So when I came back 
to Canada after traveling around the world for four years after university. Uh, I swore I'd have a job in a week, and I did, and I hated it. It was I was telemarketing, but I was telemarketing subscription sales to the business newspaper of the country. Okay. Um, and, and during the eight weeks that I uh, was telemarketing subscription sales, I, I achieved the highest ever daily, weekly, and monthly sales, uh, which was great, and I learned about sales. But what was really important is I applied to 300 jobs during that time. And this is way back when, when we word processed and we licked envelopes and we put stamps on things and we mailed bond, beautiful bond paper with our resume to, you know. Anyways, so 300 applications got me 12 interviews. Of the 12 interviews, I got six offers. Of the six offers, only three were of interest. And of the three, I picked the one which I ended up being the co-author of a national best-selling book. So I was researching and then co-authoring this book. So some people say, wow. wow, you know, you had a national best-selling book before you were 30. You're very lucky. And I say, yes, I was very lucky. But in another sense, it was just hard work and understanding probability. My job is to put 300 potential uh, opportunities into the hopper. And look at the ratio, 312-631. Like 96% of the 300 are rejections. I Number one, I can't take those personally. Like I, like I would be majorly depressed. Two, it's a numbers game. If I only put 50 opportunities into the hopper, I might have only had two interviews and no offers. Like my job is to put huge number of opportunities into the hopper to find the nuggets, in other words. And so people say, mm. you are very lucky. Mm. Yes, I was lucky, but I co-created my luck yes, by did. putting 300 opportunities in the hopper. Love that. Love that. Love that. A lot of people give that answer and they give it a good answer, but that was very, very well stated, Jim. That was good. Jim, now that we're onto that, take us back around that 300. And as we obviously know it going forward. Tell us where you went from that book that you co-authored to how you got to where you are now. Sure. So uh, this book uh, looked at the You'll remember way back when Tom Peters in Search of Excellence looked at what do the best companies have in common? And this book, The 100 Best Companies to Work For, looked at uh, what are the best companies in terms of pay, benefits, job security, atmosphere, promotion, communication. And it, it was really a study of best practice at the time, which is more than 30 years ago now. Wow. And the lessons were profound and the access to uh, C-suite throughout the country was amazing. So it really launched uh, my career. And people then began calling saying, you know, we're having a conference and we would like to know what the best companies have in common on strategy or human resources or uh, training and development. You know, there were a, a whole slew and that began my speaking career. So um, the book has had a profound impact and it was my first book and I was a co-author. 
I've written a number of other books since, but it, it was a profound turning point for my career. Where and when did you finally, out of all the research, all the books, you're really hot and heavy on something that I don't want to pigeonhole you into something, but from what I find and what I see out there, you're very um, bullish, very understanding. Sometimes you've done so much research. It seems like sometimes it doesn't, I understand the critics are important, but let's look at the facts. Let's look at what the data says. And you're very big on that. Where I fell in love with Jim Harris, I know it sounds weird, loyal listeners, but a lot of my loyal listeners have known that I've been trying to get you on, Jim, um, is the disruption of innovation. This is something that you are so huge on, and it's not so much, Jim, let me say, it's not so much you're huge on it, it's when you talk, it makes freaking sense, you know? And so where did this come from? What, what drove you into this? Was just a research or somebody requested it and you realized like, holy cow, this is powerful? Go ahead, Jim. So uh, I wrote this book, The 100 Best Companies to Work For, and it's more than 30 years ago, and then we hit the recession of 1990. Mm. And uh, IBM was one of the 100 best companies we had identified. And in 1990, they began laying off 200,000 people worldwide, half their workforce. So this was a kind of two by four to the head for me, saying that if not even the best companies can create job security for people, what will create job security? And that led to my second book, which was called The Learning Paradox. Ultimately, what creates security for us personally as employees and corporately as organizations is one, learning, two, changing, and three, accepting uncertainty. And uh, what we tend to fear most as adults is learning, changing, and uncertainty. So I called this book The Learning Paradox because our security is based on the very things that we fear most. And let's tie it into COVID right now. I know insurance companies that said pre-pandemic, you cannot sign a deal with a prospect unless you use a pen because only ink can bind someone. Only ink can bind a policy. Don't you understand? <laughs> and then the COVID you know, crisis hits and those companies, their sales go to zero because you can't meet anyone in person. We all go into lockdown. And so for years, compliance and legal of the manufacturers has been saying pen only. And then overnight, they realize their market share is going to zero. So they change and say e-signatures are now allowable. So my question is, was it really a legal issue that prevented us for decades from binding through like DocuSign? Or was it the headset, the mindset, the mentality mm -hmm. of people in legal and compliance that prevented us from doing this? And it was the former, right? Now, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Like this crisis True. is driving more change. It is responsible for more digital transformation in organizations and processes than anything else. There's this joke that, that's, it's like, who is in charge of your digital, who's driving your digital transformation strategy? A, the CEO, a B, the CIO, or C, 
COVID-19. <laughs> like, the answer is COVID-19, right? This so, is right. <laughs> so here we go. And now think about the benefit to agents, okay? I know somebody, I, I just finished working with the top 1% of all uh, insurance reps in the country. And one of them had to drive two and a half hours to meet a prospect, hopefully sign a deal, 45 minute meeting, then drive two and a half hours back to the office. That's six hours out of my day for one prospect. Now with COVID, uh, he can be making eight pitches a day because there's zero travel requirements. And now DocuSign can bind. So mm -hmm. We actually can make lemonade out of lemons. There are upside opportunities out of COVID that if I stop the negative talk about how terrible this is, forget all that and let's find the opportunities here. I agree. I agree. We've asked the companies in so long and the vendors to conform and give us the customer experience that we know that our customer is demanding. We're on the streets. We're retail Main Street agents. And, and here we do have that opportunity. Um, I also see it, as you just said a minute ago, um, the clients are becoming more, so more um, accepting. And here's the deal. They don't have a choice, especially some of the healthcare industry. You can't have anybody on the premises. It's about you're doing business on video or you're not doing business at all. And, and, and so that has been a huge part. So here we are. Both sides are being more accepting to it. Um, and I and and it's helping us internally with our operations and everything. Now, you're you're doing some stuff, and you're really um, back in the disruption innovation innovation uh, uh, YouTube video that I saw. And I've actually some of your reading. If you guys loyal listeners want to go to jimharris.com, you can see it yourself. Where you talk, you really beat up. Not beat up, but you bring some statistics that really show the underlying issues of now and in the future that can happen with the car industry. And I think the insurance industry, I want to say this, the insurance industry, Jim, we've been told that fax machines were going to take us out. Email was going to take us out. The Internet was going to take us out. Social media and disruption was going to take us out. And now we're being told, um, and there's a lot of other things, now we're being told that there's a possibility that if I have a lot of business in personal lines, which usually makes up the mass majority is car insurance. Let's say I'm a million dollar agency and 70 to 80% of my revenue comes from that. That's very common in the independent world. That's very common. How in the world am I able to adjust. You know, I don't, I'm one of those people that also doesn't think that the 700 or 800,000 that you're making is going to go away completely. There's still got to be a cost there. But what is that cost going to be? Is it as the same as it is now? And I want you to talk a little bit about that so that we can get inside your brain. And what's important here, Jim, is that we're stuck in our little cocoon of an agency and industry. It's good for someone like you who has the data, who's looked at this to tie, tie to make us go. So loyal listeners, as Jim goes, please open up your mind. Don't think about things that you've read in the past. Just listen to his research. Jim, tell us what you think about this, the future of the automobile industry and the automobile itself. So uh, first thing to say is 94% of car accidents are due to human error. So uh, we're on the cusp of getting autonomous vehicles. There's five levels of, of autonomy, and we're getting closer and closer to fully autonomous vehicles. But uh, think about this one. The cost of a car has been constant 
when adjusted for inflation at 70 cents a mile for the last 100 years. But once I have autonomous vehicles and autonomous fleets, so think about Uber and Lyft, but with no driver, the cost of uh, per mile drops to 25 cents. So if I can get an autonomous Uber and Lyft and go from my home to anywhere I want to go for a third of the cost of owning a car, why the hell do I want to own a car? Now, you might think, oh, Jim, 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 people are never going to let go of their car. Okay, fine. Do you know that 70 million U.S. households have two or more cars? So maybe I don't let go of my car, but I let go of my second car. Mm. Okay, mm. we keep a primary car, but we let go of the second one because we can get Uber and Lyft wherever we want for a third of the cost of car ownership. What's that going to do to the auto uh, insurance industry? And what about this? Tesla is now providing insurance to its car owners in California at 20 to 30% less than traditional auto insurance. How the heck can they do that? Well, first off, their cars are safer than any car on the road because they have a huge lead in autonomous vehicles. Safer cars means less accidents, which means in turn, lower loss ratio, which means I can give you insurance and charge 20 to 30% less and actually make more money per policyholder. So- Boom. Is that going now it's only in California, but is that going to be disruptive when Tesla says, okay, all Tesla owners in, you know, America can now get insurance from us. Right. I agree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you take out of the pool, all the low and no risk stuff, which means what's left in the pool (laughs) is all the higher risk stuff, which impacts loss ratios. Like so, there's so you're so saying that's a double-edged sword. There, you've got on one side, you've got twenty to thirty percent less because of the safer car, and as you said, anybody understanding risk, which we all do, you've got that pool over there. The only ways you can make uh, money a lot of times on non-standard or high risk is you've got to get the, some of that good in there to help offset those losses. Wow! So it's a double-edged sword on both side, both sides. You can see higher rates with less rates or less costs on one side. Wow! Unbelievable. Didn't think of it that way. Let me ask you, so when you're talking about, let's talk about the effects of this, right? We have 94% of the of, of accidents. Let's just say we're not going to eliminate 94%. I mean, we're, but we're going to, we're going to a high majority of those. And when the, we have explained to the agents the, the deeper um, uh, uh, disruption that they're not seeing, which is all the things that happen due to there not being as many wrecks. Well, uh, the the cascading impacts of 94% fewer accidents are huge. So uh, first off, uh, this is really great news. You know, think about the 40,000 lives that will be saved every single year. Think about the families that will be spared. Uh, think about the, and the 90, 94% also applies to people who are maimed. You know, 2.5 million people are seriously injured or permanently maimed every year by car accidents, wow. right? Yeah. You know, they lose an eye, they lose a leg, they use, lose forever the use of their arm. So, uh, so first off, this is a really great 
story in terms of uh, it is. in terms of uh, human suffering being reduced. So this is you know great, but if I take 2.5 million people off the roads from being killed or maimed, do I have an oversupply of ambulances? Right? Is this yes. bad news for an ambulance uh, maker? And think about this. If I live in New York City, it takes uh, 2.4 minutes to get to an emergency room using an Uber. It takes 10 minutes with an, an ambulance. So if I'm having a heart attack, if I'm having a stroke, uh, do you think that those minutes matter? Might that further depress ambulance uh, prices? Yes. Mm hmm. What about the impact of autonomous vehicles on cities? You know, if 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 I can get from point A to point B using Uber and Lyft and I don't have to spend a half hour driving around to try and find a thirty dollar a day parking spot. Uh, what happens to the value of parking lots if everybody starts using uh, shared uh, services like Uber and Lyft? You know, now, how do I short parking lots in my portfolio? Not really sure. Talk to your broker. I'm not making any financial advising uh, right. <laughs> statements here today. But, but, but the implications are, are, are profound and varied, right? Some cities, municipalities, are using Uber as their public transit system. Why? Because they don't have to spend $8 million a year on buses and bus schedules and hiring bus drivers and having bus repair depots and, you know, figuring out scheduling of bus drivers when some of them go on holiday or are sick. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and what do you get as a public resident of that municipality? You get to go from your home directly to where you want to go. You don't have to change three bus routes, right? Mm -hmm. and, and wait 30 minutes if it's freezing for a bus to arrive, you, you know, you get, uh, you go directly from now, you might pick up a couple people on the way. And this is one of the things that, uh, you know, these services like Uber and Lyft are all about data. I was in New York City and I, I got, um, they call it Super Saver on Lyft. It, they might have changed the name of it now, but uh, it said, okay. You know, if you want to get back to your hotel, it's going to be $16. Or you can take a super saver for $6. And I thought, well, I'm going to try this. So it says, you have to walk two blocks from where you are east to this major route. Okay. So I walk two blocks. And then the vehicle comes, is traveling right down that street. It just picks me up. It drives three more blocks, turns left, drops someone else off, continues along there, picks somebody else up, continues. It's taking wow. me directly on the route to my hotel, but it's picking up and dropping. There's always three yes. people in the vehicle. So I get a direct route to my hotel for $6 and transit was three. So transit, like I'm in a New York City, I don't know where the nearest subway is and right you know the bus and the weird but you know but so this is double the price and in fact i got some rides that were cheaper than transit so wow. if you have high density like in new york city um this makes a difference 
Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. Huge uh, difference. What about this one? Um, there are two companies that are involved in micro mobility, uh, Lyft uh, or not Lyft, uh, Bird and Lime. Okay, these are little scooters. Yes, that that are electric scooters. Do you know? Here, this blows me away. Sixty percent of all trips in the U.S. are less than five miles. Sixty percent wow. of trips. Okay, so let's let's look at this. Average car thirty five thousand dollars to buy. Okay, mm -hmm. a, a bird or lime scooter you rent for a dollar a mile, basically. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, I need to go four miles to, I just pick up one of these shared scooters on an app. I go four miles. It costs me four bucks, right? Mm -hmm. Think about the other guy who has the, the car. He has to get in his car, drive four miles, which traffic's a nightmare. These scooters go faster uh, than a car in the core of cities, right? Yep. Uh, because you're you're going on, um, you know, the bike lane. And then I don't have to find a parking spot. I just park it on the sidewalk. I lock it with the app and I walk away. It's called Dockless Scooter. Now, these two companies were the fastest two companies in U.S. history to grow to a billion dollar valuation. Each did it in 12 months. Wow. So from zero to a billion in 12 months. Uh, and they've each facilitated more than a hundred million rides. If you don't think this is going to affect the uh, transportation market, think again. So we're going to have way more choices in transportation. So this is one of the reasons I predict two of the major car companies are going to fall off a cliff and cease to exist within the next five years like two yeah. of the co companies we know, big name companies. I could see that. I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. When we're talking about that, and we're kind of kind of is a nice little thing into it, tell us about the effect of the electric car and what it means to CEOs, what it means to valuations, what it means to Wall Street, um, as far as as what we're told. We were, I've heard you inside that, uh, that YouTube video talk about Tesla, Mercedes-Benz, and other luxury cars. Um, can you want to elaborate on that, Jim? Sure. Well, today, if you take the value of uh, General Motors, you add it to the value of Ford, and you add it to the value of Fiat Chrysler. Take all three, add them together, multiply by four, it's worth less than Tesla. <laughs> so if you don't Holy think- cow. If you don't think that the electrification of transportation is going to impact- the industry going forward, I beg you to think again. Like how big a two by four, 
to the head do GM executives need to get serious about electrification? And I have to say their deal they just announced with Nikola is not really intelligent. It's a sign of desperation because it's wow. about it's about hydrogen. It's not about electric. They should uh -huh. be focused on electric. Hydrogen's never going to take off the way electric is. So because um, you have to build an entirely new infrastructure, like depots to dispense hydrogen. Uh, you have to make hydrogen. You don't have the infrastructure. With, but with electric vehicles, we have all the infrastructure. We That's have electricity point. everywhere. That's a good point. We can, right? You mm -hmm. have to build out an entire infrastructure which isn't going to happen overnight. So um, why did they choose that, Jim? Why, why did they go that way? Do you have any thoughts, you know? Well, they're desperate. They, they, they realize that, you know, so here's, here's the other thing. How we see the situation is critical. Um, GM, used, the vice chairman of GM is a guy, used to be a guy called Bob Lutz, L-U-T-Z, Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bob said climate change is a crock of shit. I'm sorry to all your listeners for That's swearing. Okay. They're I'm used just, to it. I, I'm just quoting Bob, okay? So um, <laughs> <laughs> who did GM stick in charge of their green car strategy? They put Bob in charge. <laughs> now, now, now like is it any wonder that GM is like eight years behind on electrification of vehicles, okay? Bob <laughs> was in charge. <laughs> okay, makes sense, totally. <laughs> oh, it's a crock of shit. Hey, let's put him in charge. <laughs> <laughs> he should be in charge of our green car strategy. We're going to get way far ahead with him leading us. So what I thought was amazing is you talked about the luxury brand. Uh, I can't remember exactly. You said that I think um, t you talked about 50% of a company's, I think, margin or something like that is is in the luxury vehicles, but they only sell like 2%. I can't remember exactly what that was. So I was talking there about Lexus. Mm -hmm. So 10 years ago, Lexus represented 2% of the unit volume for Toyota sales in North America, but it represented 50% of the profit for Toyota in North America. So in other words, these luxury vehicles have a disproportionate share of profitability. And what Tesla has done, um, uh, this year, Tesla Model 3 will sell more units than Mercedes C-Class and BMW 3-Class. So, uh, oh, and, and I used to be a BMW 3 owner. Um, I had a 320i like 30 years ago, and then I had a 325. I, I love them. But uh, so here's the thing. Uh, the Tesla model, Tesla uh, is perceived, and it is, as a luxury model. Like if you have a Tesla Model S, you can accelerate faster than any Porsche, right? So right. Uh, it, it starts, this disruption started by attacking the high end, uh, the luxury uh, vehicle market. So Tesla brought out a Roadster and uh, 
uh, it was a luxury vehicle, quarter million. And with the revenue they got from selling those, very limited market, they invested in the Model S, which is now $120,000 sedan, amazing mm -hmm. performance. And as, you know, production ramped up and they sold more and more, then they invested in the Model X, which is an SUV with a gull wings. Uh, SUVs, 50% of all car sales in the US are SUVs. So the Model X attacked the high-end SUV market. And then with the revenue from that, they brought out the Model 3, which is the lowest priced uh, Tesla so far, a mass market, uh, supposedly at 35,000, but that's the very base, base, base. base and base, the yeah. average price was 52 uh, because they sold the multi-engine ones and with all bells and whistles first because to suck in revenue. And then bringing out the Model Y, which is a smaller SUV sharing in common with the Model 3, but like the Model X. So it's about moving down, down, down wow, did from not the see high it that end. Way. And then building out in uh, China. China is 50% of all EVs in the world are sold in China. So it's mm -hmm. obviously the next market you go to. And the, this blows me away. The, the plant in China was built and operational in less than one calendar year mm -hmm. from the ground being broken to actually the line producing. So this is hyperspeed in the auto industry. It's so interesting that you put it that way. Even after looking and reading your stuff, I didn't realize that they were attacking from that angle. And what's in, you'll get a new car company that comes in and what do they do? They go after the 30 to 40,000 model brand. And then usually they'll come out with like, a higher class, you know, this is our luxury model, you know, and no, 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 no. And that obviously was done purpose. They didn't just fall into that. I mean, someone had to be looking at this and saying, Hey, let's go from the top, top down. You know what I mean? And that is, that is genius. I did not realize that strategically done, especially by going to China and knowing where your market share is. Yes. Well, um, Honda, for instance, uh, they're, uh, attacking the U S market went from the bottom up. So the Honda Civic, when we had the oil crisis of 1979, when the price of oil quadrupled in just uh, 18 months, Honda came in with a really inexpensive gas uh, conserving vehicle, which eventually became the best selling vehicle in America. And so they work, they started from low priced, efficient models and worked it way up. Okay, which is the opposite strategy from Tesla. Now, why would Tesla take this strategy? Well, um, what people don't understand is exponential change. So, uh, Jason, do you remember when Gary Kasparov was beaten at chess by IBM's Deep Blue? Correct. Yep, I do. That was 1997. And IBM's supercomputer called Deep Blue was a $100 million project. Okay. Okay. And it beat Gary, Gary at chess. Now, I have to tell you, my smartphone, okay, which I carry in my hip pocket and costs $1,000, has more raw computing power than IBM's Deep Blue. Wow. So I carry a supercomputer in my hip pocket. Now, what's the implication for insurance and agents? 
if I can't get an instant quote on my smartphone, if I'm an agency that isn't uh, smartphone centric, I am choosing not to access the supercomputer in every client and prospect's pocket or purse. Wow. Mm. I am, you know, and if you want to reach Gen Zs, if you want to reach millennials, their life revolves around the smartphone. So I'm choosing not to access this market because that's how they do business. It's like saying, we're just not going to use the telephone to reach people. <laughs> you know, we're not going to use uh, Zoom to reach people. Well, mm -hmm. you know, last mm -hmm. quarter, Q2 of 2020, Zoom was downloaded 300 million times. And that's that's just on smartphones. That's like iOS and, uh, you know, Google's Play Store. I'm not even talking about desktop downloads, just 300 million smartphone downloads. Wow. And I know some financial companies that say you are prohibited from using Zoom. It is insecure. Okay, that's like saying the telephone has just begun. And you remember way back when, when the telephone, there were operators who would connect your call. I was very young, but I remember that, yep. They had huge boards and you'd take this plug out and plug it over there. Well, that's like saying you cannot use the telephone to market because it's insecure. There's an operator who could listen into your call. So financial company, fintechs, and you know, financial institutions don't use the telephone. It's insecure. Like at what point do we change? When when a billion people are using Zoom, maybe do we then say, oh, that's where the market is. That's where our customer is. That's where, you know, mm -hmm. maybe we have to use Zoom. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, for certain things internally in a bank or an insurance company, we're not going to use Zoom, but it's, it's, we have to adapt to the times. We do. We do. In the insurance industry, it is very, very tough because the independent insurance companies uh, either don't provide an app, which is fine, or they make it very difficult for us to connect our app into their data. So, and then this new thing is, is they think to themselves, well, we're going to come out with our own app and then you send our client there. A lot of agents always scared that the company's trying to take their business. I'm not necessarily that one. I want to provide the service rather than, because I think if I don't provide the service, regardless of what the company thinks, I'm going to maybe possibly lose the client. And I think that it is a very, very hard thing for us agents. Now, upon talking to some of the C-suite guys at these at, uh, and gals at these agent, uh, these insurance companies, they say you independents are so far behind technology-wise, which majority of us are, that we have been waiting for you to use your own app or come up with your own app. You haven't, so we're going to provide that, right? And so what are some of your thoughts on this? So I, I want to give you one uh, small stat here. Uber is worth more than every taxi cab company in North America added together. So while the taxi industry owns billions of dollars of assets in the form of cars and limousines, Uber doesn't own a single vehicle. Mm -hmm. Now this shows me how central an app is to my valuation. So what are the car or what are the taxi companies doing to compete? Well, you know, in my city, uh, Yellow Cabs is developing an app. And I say, good for them. They're spending a quarter million dollars. And, uh, you know, Checkered Cabs is developing an app. 
good for them. You know, and all 19 cab companies are developing an app. Now, Jason, I don't know about you, but the reason I got this smartphone was to download 19 different Toronto taxi apps and key my data into each one with my fat thumbs. Like not, yeah. But no I way. don't. I don't just work in Toronto. Pre-COVID, I, I, you know, I was in dozens of cities uh, every year, you know. And so Shenzhen, I'm not going to download things in Shenzhen or Stockholm or London, England, or you know, Rome, Italy, or Miami or L.A. or San Diego, like NYC. So here's the thing. The average user is not going to download 19,000 global taxi apps. And what the industry needs is a single app, okay, mm -hmm. that can be skinned different ways. So the all the insurance manufacturers get together and create a single app that wow. everybody can use. Wow. And your agency, when you give that app, to your clients, it has your agency skin on it. In other words, they don't know any different. Mm -hmm. They think it's yours. And you choose where the data goes to. And I get the data from the individual and I'm going to send it to three uh, underwriters for their quotes that come back to me. But it's all on a common platform. You see, each taxi cab company wow. right now is spending a quarter million on an app I will never download. It's true. So it is ignorant. Until the industry cooperates on this, you're going to allow uh, companies like Lemonade to crush you. Mm -hmm. Because they have a single app that's scaling. The, the whole thing about uh, an app is to scale. There are millions of apps that are created. The answer is not an app. The answer is an app that gets used aggressively and expands exponentially. Mm. And if you had everyone in the industry pushing a single app, okay, mm -hmm. but it had different faces, but the back end is all the same. You know, 70% of data that's rekeyed into a system introduces errors. Yes. Yes. So, so, and here's what happens if you're an agent. You know, a manufacturer says, hey, we're going to help you digitize. We have created a portal that you can key all the data in, and it's going to be a help to you. You know, it's going to eliminate work. And you go, wow, thanks. That's great. But you know what? Each insurer has a different portal. And now if I want one mm -hmm. quote for one client, I have to key that data into three different portals. You've actually, you haven't saved me any time. True. And I now have to train all my staff how to key data into three different portals. Where's the time saving that you promised me? Right. And not only it's, that, and not, listen, Jim, and most of us have more than three portals. Some of us are operating between five to 10 portals. And then one of the things that we say is, is we believe with the good intentions, the companies uh, develop these type of raters and these type of portals for us to actually help with efficiency. But that was in the 1990s and early 2000s. And today data is a huge thing. And they're now capturing that data. And so that is some things that I think is very, very important to realize that we are sitting there literally putting in this data every day with these carriers that 
I think they have limitations to how they use it, but they can use it internally to start looking at things and saying, here, here's the type of client we're getting. Here's the type, this agent's coming up with this type of client. And so I think that that stuff is very, um, very, very effective. And you are right. It's interesting to have one app. Um, I think that that is very, like you said, though, if the if taxi industry, if they those 19 came together and created one app, you download two. Right. You download the Uber and then download the universal taxi app. But you're saying I'm not downloading the the Uber and 19 other apps, you know? Yeah. And I'm really the industry has to work on a global level. Like I would download one global taxi app that worked in any country. So if I'm in Davos, it works in Switzerland and Swiss francs. You know, if I'm in uh, Sweden, in Stockholm, it works uh, there with Kroner. It all gets billed to my credit card. I get to see where the vehicle is is as it's arriving. Like there are so many points of friction in the old business model of taxis. Like I have not taken a taxi. Uh, I've like like the the taxi industry revenue uh, has been been crushed in New York City, which is the biggest taxi market in the U.S. The value of a taxi uh, medallion has plummeted by 90%. Wow. Taxi wow. medallions used to be worth $1.1 million and they now sell for uh, as little as uh, 50000 And to educate you know, the, the, the loyal listeners, those are things you, you have to have a medallion in order to operate as a taxi in- That's right, in, in New York City. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's let's wrap this up, and I want to I want to end something here. You talked about exponential growth, and if I'm correct, when you were talking about the hundred million dollar thing versus what you have uh, today um, in your pocket, I think we're talking about how the size will double every two years, while the value decreases in half every two years. Is that is that part of that? It's it, you you have it. It's it's called Moore's law, and Gordon Moore, who was the founder co-founder of Intel, said. The number of uh, transistors on a computer chip will double every 18 months, staying at the same price point. And what that means is in 1970, there were 2,000 transistors on a computer chip. And today it's 43 billion. Oh, my So from 2,000 to 40. And what that practically means is a gigaflop is a measure of compute speed. It's doing a billion transactions in a single second, snap of a finger, okay? So uh, in 1961, a gigaflop was $153 billion on mainframe computers, okay? Mm -hmm. Today, in 2020, a gigaflop is a half cent. And that's like so 2020 a figure, like because it's going down to a quarter cent in 2021. So. What that means is compute power is free, and two, it's at the edge. And at the edge means it's on my smartphone, mm-hmm. not in a data center. So if I am not mobile-centric, if my business is not oriented to the smartphone, I am choosing not to use a supercomputer in the pocket of every single customer and prospect. So, for instance, there's what's called an accelerometer in a smartphone. This is, you know, if you go out walking, it tells you how many steps you take in a day, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the 10,000 steps in a day. 
But from an, a car insurance purpose, this can tell me how hard I accelerate, how hard I brake, how hard I corner. You can begin to rate in real time the risk of uh, somebody in a car. So we could get to real time rating of risk via smartphone if I choose to have a mobile app. And, uh, you know, I know some Love people that. who own Porsches who don't want to have real-time rating. They'd rather have their risk lumped in with everyone else because they drive like a maniac, right? Makes well, sense. <laughs> well, maybe we start the market by saying, hey, uh, if you uh, download our app, we're going to give you 5% discount on the first year, mm -hmm. Right. A lot of them are starting to do that now. Exactly. Because we get to more realistic rating rather than, um, you know, just lumping all people into a pool and saying, what's the average risk? You know, Jim, what a lot of them do is now they will give you a 10 or 20% discount, right? If you download the app and you take it on. And here's what's amazing. And our customers, we're having to teach them this, is that if you're a maniac driver, the only thing they do is remove the 20%, but they don't necessarily raise your rate due to it because they're going to offset by the other people that they know that they're going to be getting a better rate on. And so sometimes our consumers are like, oh, well, I don't want to get that because they know they drive like Jason, like crazy. But now I'm trying to let them know that, no, you're only going to benefit. You can't necessarily decrease or not benefit from something like this. But eventually, mm -hmm. uh, like my wife uh, got uh, a ticket like a, I don't know what it was, but the uh, insurance agency, when rates were hardening, they came back and said, look, we don't want to rate you anymore. Gotcha. Like yeah. you, you had an accident right. and, and we want only the cream of the crop, uh, in our pool. Cause we're just starting off and we don't want loss ratios, any losses. Like, uh, She's now back to six years without any incident, and I'm at the same, so we have the best ratings. But yeah, I wanted to get to exponential growth, basically how the humans are going to become less smart than actually the computer because that upward change. We'll talk about that one other time. I would love to know more about some of that. Jim, I really do. Thank you very much for your time. If we have to, if we wanted to, anybody wanted to reach out to you, they find you on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, yes. And uh, if you reach out on LinkedIn, make sure you mention the podcast here, Jason, your your podcast, because mm -hmm. I get requests from people I don't know who I don't necessarily connect with. Correct. Um, so mention that I'm in the insurance industry and I was listening to uh, Jason's podcast. Agents Influence. Uh, Agents Influence, and I'll uh, be happy to uh, connect with you there. Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate your time. I really do. Hey, loyal listeners, I wanted to give you an insight to some of the stuff that's going on out there. Be sure to check out jimharris.com as well. Read that article he has. It will absolutely blow your mind. And in the meantime, Jim, once again, thank you very much. This was everything I wanted it to be. And to all you loyal listeners, be sure to tell me your thoughts, tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Jason Cass. That's been Jim Harris, and we are Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. 
really. We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? CAS certified.